0: Psalms 103, and we'll just read through this as we go. But Psalms 103, start reading in verse 1, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth from all thy diseases. I'll stop right there. So uh, the title of the message tonight is Remembering All His Benefits. So right here at the beginning of this psalm, once again it's a psalm it's a song it's something that we uh it's a praise and many of our songs that we sing are just songs of praise where we just pretty much we sing songs that just says good stuff about God and that's completely appropriate it's just a way to lift up his name and just give him some glory and honor and credit he's worthy of all of those things but you know our um, one of the, you know we don't just praise God because he's You know, worthy. There's many reasons. We don't just praise God because uh, He is an amazing God that's done some incredible things. But I think it's good to praise Him for things that are specific, to sometimes just get very specific. Because when we praise God, one of the things we uh, need to realize is that, you know, we benefit from His greatness, we benefit from His goodness and from His righteousness. All these great things about God. This is for our benefit, okay? Do you not r- realize that we're on the right side, okay? If you're saved today, you're on the winning side, you're on God's side, it's in your best interest that He is this great God. I'm glad that this God, uh, our God is the one true God. I'm glad that we serve Jehovah God, I'm glad we don't serve Buddha, or Muhammad, or one of these other dead gods, you know, or Dagon, or Zeus, or, you know, all these fake gods that are out there, They literally have no power. I'm glad we're not worshipping a statue. You know, think of how dead that would be to just, you know, pray to statues. You know, I saw a picture somebody posted of Donald Trump standing at, you know, praying at the wailing wall. And it had a thing on there that said, it's like talking to a wall. And that's exactly right. You go pray at the wailing wall. It's going to be like talking to a wall. Because that is exactly what you're doing. And so, you know, all these great things about God, we ought to be excited about them. We ought to be singing about about these things because the fact that God is great and good and powerful and all these things, this works to our favor if we're on His side and if we are following His will. And the truth is, when you're following the will of God, it's in your best interest. You will never be happier in anything besides the will of God. When you do God's will for your life, that's where you will find maximum happiness. Your flesh will lie to you and tell you that other things will make you happy. The devil will lie to you and tell you other things will make you happy. But the truth is, you will be happiest. You will be the most fulfilled in God's will. So, once again, like we talked about last week, I believe it was uh, last Wednesday, uh, when we were going through uh, Psalms 102, you know, we were talking about you know, getting with God's program. You know, getting in on his program, just getting focused on his will instead of your own, that's where you're going to be uh, better off. And so, he mentions in verse uh, 2, or verse 2, you know, when it's saying, Blessed are my soul, it says, Forget not all his benefits. And we need to remember some of these things, okay? So obviously we're supposed to praise the Lord. Obviously he's worthy of all praise. And general praise is fine. There's nothing wrong with us singing just songs like, How Great Thou Art, and, you know, To God be the glory. Uh, you know, and you know, I'm not talking about like some of these just vain repetition songs, but you know, sometimes we do. We just, some songs are pretty general, but that's fine. We can praise God and all those things, but you know, we ought to be able to get specific because there are many benefits. And many people today, it's like they act like they don't know what they are. What are the benefits of serving God? You know, what are the benefits of, you know, being involved with the one true God And if if you can't figure these things out, that's pretty sad. But at the same time, sometimes we do need reminders. And that's what the Word of God is there for. And so I want us to go through some of these things. So verse 4, or verse 3, it goes on and starts naming off some of these benefits. And it says, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Now that's a pretty good benefit right there. He forgives all our iniquities. You all realize that most other religions, most other gods... They teach, basically, you have to earn your way to heaven, don't they? And here's the sad thing about it. So these other religions, these other gods, they almost in some way, shape, or form always teach in order to go to heaven, paradise, or whatever they believe in, it is somehow based on your performance here on earth. And here's what's so sad about that. So these religions that teach that, not only, you know, do they not get all their iniquities and things forgiven? But all those good works that they do, there's no benefit either. Because they're gonna, they're gonna end up standing before the true God, they're gonna stand before Jesus Christ, and they're gonna be cast into hell. But most religious, I mean the Catholic Church, that's what they teach. Even some fake Baptists today, you know, like Tyler Oka, you know, and Justin LeBlanc, you know, they're teaching that if you're not doing good enough, if you're not serving God enough, you know, you're gonna go do time in the lake of fire. But look what it says right there. He forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. He forgives all of our iniquities. Not just certain ones. He forgives all of them. I don't know if you all realize that. That's a big benefit right there. He forgives all our, our, our iniquities. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. He redeemed us from destruction. Y'all realize we've been purchased by Jesus Christ. He purchased us with His blood. Why did we have to be purchased? Because we were debtors. Y'all realize back in those Bible days when you read about a lot of the servants and the slaves and the slaves and things they had, often what would get you to become a slave was you were in debt to somebody. And if you owed a debt, often the sentence was, you know, you basically have to go be this man's servant for however many years. And you had to work for them until you paid off that debt. Well, as sinners, we owe a debt to God. We owe a sin debt that we can only pay. The only way we can pay it is by spending eternity in hell. But we have been redeemed from that. How are we redeemed? Jesus Christ paid our debt. That debt that we owe God, Jesus Christ paid it, On the cross, and the Bible says that He purchased us with His blood. I don't know, but that's something to sing about right there. Some of y'all would get more excited if I paid off a thousand dollar credit card bill for you. Some people get they get more excited about that. You know, we see all the people the way they get when they go on Oprah's show and she just gives them a car or something like that. You know, they do some kind of financial. Thing for them, and everybody just goes crazy. Everybody just goes nuts. But you know, you can go into a lot of churches today, you can talk about being redeemed by the blood of Christ, that He redeemed you from the bondage of sin, from the penalty of sin. And notice, hear crickets chirping. That's pretty sad. You know why? We, you know why that is? Because we often we just take these things for granted. We don't meditate on these things. And I'm telling you, that's something they ought to do sometime. It's not enough. You know, I, I shouldn't, I can't just preach this stuff every week. I'm not going to preach about redemption every single week, but you know what? It wouldn't do you, it wouldn't do you any harm to every once in a while to just get alone somewhere with God and just sit and think about it. And just think about what you are missing. Go do some study on hell and the reality of hell and think about the fact that if we're not for what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that's where you would be going. And I tell you what, I think if more Christians did that, I think more Christians would have a positive attitude. It's amazing how many churches you can go into, and they are, the people there are just dead and grumpy. And how many churches you can go into, and there's angry, there's anger, there's strife. Why is that? Because we're forgetting about these things. And Jesus Christ, He, he redeemed us from destruction. And He crowned thee with loving kindness and tender mercy. So not only that, not only were we purchased... And not not only were we saved from the penalty of sin, but God's good to us. On top of that, He blesses us. Not only does He save us from our sins, but you know what? He helps us through the Holy Spirit to get victory over our sins. And so even though we're still sinners, and this is what a lot of Baptists don't understand, you know, they think you have to repent of your sins to be saved and stuff. Right now, we are still dirty, rotten sinners. We are still worthy of hell. But you know what? The Holy Spirit, He can help us get victory in our life where we can overcome some temptations or we can overcome some sins. And you know, some of us, we we might even actually look like godly people. That actually, you know, in comparison to God, we're still, you know, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. But we can still get some kind of victory. We can have a happy life. We can raise good families. You know, we can... Uh, we can accomplish great things for God. What is that? Those are the tender mercies that God gives us. Those are the benefits of being a Christian, it says in verse 5, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Okay? He's, I mean, say so a lot of times you see people how when they get saved they just really get on fire for God. But what often happens? A lot of times it seems like they fizzle out, don't they? But the truth is, if we'll stay close to God, if we'll, I mean, you know, stay committed, if we'll stay in the Word of God, you know what? We're going to have those times where we get down, where we get discouraged, but you know what? The Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God continually renews us. And He gives us that strength that we need to get through this life. Many people, whenever you start talking about getting saved, and, you know, a lot of times they think the way to get saved is you have to start living a better life. And that's not the way you get saved. You get saved by trusting in Jesus Christ. But one of the things, though, that often is a, is a struggle for people is, you know, they'll see Christians and the way they live, and they will think, I can't live that kind of life. I couldn't faithfully go to church, read my Bible, you know, quit this thing. Quit. They, they think there's no way that I, can, I could do that. But that's because right now in their lost condition, they don't have the Lord renewing their strength. But when you get saved, He'll give you the strength to overcome those things. The sin that you know, got a hold on you in your life, if you'll trust in the Lord, He can give you the strength to overcome that sin. And you can be victorious. And if these people would just trust in God, I believe they would find out that they can do the things that they think that they cannot do. They'll be like the Apostle Paul and eventually say, you know what, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. The problem many of these people have is they're only thinking about what they can do. And the truth is, without Christ we can do nothing. So, uh, But that, that is a great benefit. The fact that he helps us overcome these sins. They're what ruin people's lives. They're what, sin is what makes people miserable. Verse 6 says, The Lord executeth righteousness and judgments for all that are oppressed. And so that thank God that he sees what's going on. That's another one of the benefits. Okay? We often in this life we get treated unfairly. There's injustice that happens. We often if we're not careful, we can get worried, you know, about you know just things that could possibly happen. And there are bad things that could potentially happen to us as Christians. You know, it's very clear in the scriptures that you know there's going to be difficult times that are going to come for a Christian. But you know, the Lord, he's still going to execute righteousness in his time. We might get to see those things in our life. We might not, but either way, it's going to be done. And you know, everyone, everyone hates injustice. Everyone hates being done wrong. And there not being any type of recompense for that. But the truth is, God executeth uh, righteousness and judgment. for for all that are oppressed. So just understand there's a lot of people today, especially you know, especially these liberals. these liberals that are always out there protesting about all the injustice and equality, you're always wanting to riot and things like that. You know, one of these reasons these people are so miserable is because in their minds they feel like they're not getting any justice. When in reality they are getting justice. the reason their life stinks is because you know they're wicked, because they're they're miserable. You know, they're, they're because they're uh, transgressing God's law. And they have no hope of getting justice. Their hope is in Washington. You know, and then if it's a Republican in office, you know, they're really convinced they're not going to get any justice. And then when the Democrat gets in office, they're all excited thinking we're finally going to get justice, and they still don't. You know, they and they're, they're just never happy. And they never will be happy. And the reason is, is because of their lifestyle. But you know what, as believers... Even when we do get treated unfairly, even when we do suffer injustice, we at least have the hope of knowing that, hey, if I don't get justice on this earth, I'm going to be rewarded in heaven because of these things. The things that I endure on this earth, really, when you stop to think about it, the tougher they are, the greater the eternal rewards. What hope do these little millennials have that are out protesting all the time? None. They have no hope whatsoever no wonder they're going around you know smashing windows and burning things and you know i mean that's what i would do if i believed like them if i had no hope if i had no god of justice but that's not the case with us we that's one of the benefits that we have so look at verse 7 it says he made known his ways unto moses his acts unto the children of israel this right here Is uh, Turn over to 1 John 5. This is huge. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. Now, what is that? What is that specifically talking about when he says he made known his ways? That, my friends, is what we would call the law. That law that people often look at that is oppressive. People often will look at that Old Testament law, they'll see all these laws where people are being put to death and they just see how strict all these things are and they look at that like it's just a terrible thing. I get very aggravated when I hear people talk about just how mean the God of the Old Testament was. And the same people that talk about how mean the God of the Old Testament was, they are usually the first people that one of the reasons they'll say, I don't believe in God is because look at all the wickedness in this world today. Just look at all the injustice that's in the world today. Well, you know why our world is so wicked? Because we're not following God's law. That's why we've got the mess, the, the messes that we're having in this country. The same people that will get offended because of the death penalty for perverts that we see in the Old Testament, the same people that get offended by that and all bent out of shape, one of the reasons... That they will not—they say they don't believe in God. As they say, you know, just look at all the horrible things that happen. To people look at all these kids that are molested and just all the rape and things like that. And they'll use that as an excuse to not believe God. Well, take your pick. You know, God showed us His ways in the Old Testament. He showed us how to keep that stuff out of our land. He showed us how to keep the land from being defiled, and it was very simple. You've got to put them to death. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches the death penalty. And everybody wants to get bent out of shape about it. Everybody wants to get offended by it. And then at the same time, they want to get mad at God for allowing all those things to happen. Well, how is God allowing these things to happen? It sounds to me like we are disobeying God. And then even the dispensationalists today, the dispensational Baptists, they do. They get all bent out of shape when you bring up death penalty passages from the Old Testament. When they when you bring up the moral law from the Old Testament, they get all bent out of shape. That's not for this dispensation. You know that was in the Old Testament, and it's just ridiculous. Even the Sermon on the Mount, many dispensationalists will say that is not for us. Why they despise those laws? You know why they despise those laws so much? Because they think. That's too hard. We can't do that. Well, where are they getting that idea from? Look at what it says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. It says, "...whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth Him that begat loveth Him also that is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments." Okay, this is how we know we're saved. This is how we know we love God when we keep His commandments. "...for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments... And his commandments are not grievous. Y'all get that right there? Now, I, I want to point this out. Now I've talked about this before, but it needs repeating. One of the reasons that, you know, first, one of the, the main reason we believe in eternal security is because it's just flat out spelled out all over the Bible. One of the reasons that we believe that a believer will never spend one second in a hell is because the Bible just spells it out that we won't. But people often will look at that and they scoff at that and they think it's just not fair that a bad Christian goes to the same heaven that a good Christian goes to. But wait a minute. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please Him. Okay, We can't please God with our works, but we can please Him with our faith. Our keeping of the law there's no way we're going to please God in that. Because he's holy, we are far from it. So how are we going to be capable of pleasing God? How do we please God by our faith? Is that just us sitting around thinking, boy, I believe in God. Boy, I have faith. Is that what it is? Is that how we please God with our faith? Now here's how, this is why God gave us eternal security. This is why salvation is completely free because that is the only possible way For us to have a relationship with God on earth and to show Him that we love Him. You say, how is that? Well, if we had to go to church, continue going to church to go to heaven, then why would we go to church? We would go to, we'd go to church because we love ourselves. Okay? That's why I would go to church. Because I don't want to go to hell. Alright? I hope I don't make anybody mad at me right now and I don't sound very spiritual, but you know what? I love myself too much. want to spend any time in hell at all. And so if I've got to go to church to keep from going to hell, guess where I'm going all the time? I'm going to church. Not because I love God, because I love myself. If I've got to be a soul winner, if I've got to keep the commandments in order to escape hell, I'm going to keep the commandments because I love myself. That's the only reason I pay taxes. That's the only reason I follow the speed limit. It's not because I love the laws of our land. It's not because I just love the cops and I don't want to give them a hard day. It's because I love myself and I don't want to pay the ticket. And there are there's a lot of laws in this country that I don't agree with and that I just flat out don't like, but I follow them, not out of love for country, out of love for myself. And if I could get away with it, I'd get away with it. All right? I mean, you know, I... I don't fear our government. Okay? They can't see everything I do. They're not all knowing, and there are some things. If I thought I would get away with it, yeah, I'd, I'd go ahead and do it. Alright? Because I, I, but, thing is, you know, I do love myself enough that so I ain't going to prison for nobody. Except the Lord. Alright? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not going to prison for things like that. But here's the thing. When you get saved, You don't have to keep the commandments of God to still go to heaven. So now, so then why would we, you know, if if I believe like that, then I would just, you know, I would just get saved and then I would just go do whatever I wanted to do. Well, then you don't love God. That's the truth. And if we are obeying the commandments, then that shows that we actually love God. If you're still going to church knowing you don't have to go to church to go to heaven, you know what? That shows that you love God. and the fact that we can't lose our salvation and people are still keeping commandments, it shows that they love God. But not only that, if you are keeping the, if, if you are keeping the commandments of God,' I'll just, if, if we're real honest, but this is a faith thing here, all right? Did you know that keeping the commandments of God is a smart thing to do if you love yourself? Because keeping the commandments of God, It will give you a better life. It will make you happier. But do we always feel that way? Absolutely not. Punching your enemy, to me, would feel better than loving your enemy. That's how I feel about it. But here's the thing, when I obey the commandments of God, right there that shows, you know what, I've got faith. That shows I just actually believe God's word. And now I'm not doing these things out of fear of hell I'm doing these things by faith. And you know what we find out when we keep the commandments of God? His commandments are not grievous. Many people act like they are. They act like that's too tough. I want to go to the liberal church where they don't preach so hard on stuff. His commandments are not grievous. If you think they are, it's because the devil is lying to you. That's all there is to it. You're being lied to by the devil. The commandments of God are not grievous. And we see there... In Psalms chapter 104 or 3 verse 7, you know, he showed his ways. He made known his ways unto Moses. And we ought to thank God that he has showed us his ways. The fact that he has given us the scriptures and that we have his law, that is a massive benefit right there. We have the instructions to having good marriages and to raising good kids and being happy, successful people. We have these things. Some people, you know, they're well-meaning people, but unfortunately nobody's ever taught them the truth. One of the reasons we see the messed up relationships we do today and bad marriages today, people are just, they're doing what they've been taught. Nobody has showed them the Lord's ways. They're not being taught, they're, they're certainly not being taught these things in school. They're not being taught these things from the examples that they get from Hollywood. Many of these people are not getting these uh, uh, examples in their homes. Most people today are growing kids today are growing up in broken homes. You know, th- I was privileged to grow up in a home where parents followed biblical principles when it came to marriage and raising children. I was taught the ways of God by them, and I got to live among those things. I had first-hand knowledge, not just from reading the scriptures, but I got to see it practiced. I got to see it carried out too. And you know what? That's a great, that's been a great benefit. That's been a great help. And you know what? It's not grievous. And I do. I mean, I know a lot of people that they did not know the ways of the Lord. They didn't grow up in a Christian home. They grew up in a home where as soon as trouble came, the parents' solution was, let's quit. Let's get divorced. And then they marry somebody else, and they do the same thing again. They've not been taught about the sanctity of marriage. They've not been taught, you know, for better or for worse. They've not been taught those things. And so nobody ever showed them how to actually overcome the difficult times. But the, part of the, but the truth is, the Bible teaches us all these things. It shows us that those things. And if we'll follow them, our lives are going to be better. Our marriages are going to be better. I mean, we're going to be better off across the board. And we see it every day. You you go out in public, you go out to the mall or even to the restaurant, and you just see these families where the kids are just completely out of control. And you watch these parents try to use these little psychological tactics that they got off the internet or read in some book on their kids instead of just spanking the fire out of them. And you just see how miserable that kid is. And you see how miserable the parents are. I mean, they just look stressed out of their mind. The mom's popping pills, you know, to deal with the stress and things like that. And you watch that. And, you know, it's real easy for us to just get down and just, you know, and uh, and to condemn and all that. But the truth is, nobody's ever showed them the ways of God. They've not been taught the scriptures. And, you know, what? my family, we're able to eat there with all six of our kids. And we can eat in peace. And we can enjoy ourselves and be happy. Why? Because The ways of the Lord have been made known unto us. And you know what? His commandments are not grievous. We often often think they are. My kids think his ways are grievous when they're getting spanked. Alright? But even in the New Testament, you know, hey, no chastening at, at the time seems pleasant. But it produces something good. It's worth it. You know, in the end, we're glad. I was never one time growing up thankful that I was getting spanked. I never one time when I was getting spanked, just as soon as I, my parents were done, said, so thank you, Mom and Dad. I needed that. I never did that one time. <laughs> never did. But you know what? Now I'm thankful that they spanked me. Now I'm, I'm very thankful. So we're going to have those times where it, it doesn't feel that way. But in the end, you know we're going to be glad we did it God's way. You're going to have times in your marriage and raising your kids where it's like, I don't know if the Lord's way is going to work. I don't know if this is going to make me happiest. But if you just go ahead and do it His way, Later, you're going to be, man, I'm glad I did it God's way. So, he made known his ways unto Moses. Verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. We ought to praise him for being slow to anger. Okay, not only, you know, all of us in here, we all got saved at different ages. Thankfully, I, you know, I, I got saved at a very young age. But, you know, those of you that got saved when you were a little older, you know, aren't you glad he didn't get real angry and finish you off Amen. before? Yes, how many of you, you know, how many in here, you got saved? You know, it it took several presentations before you got saved. All right, several of you in here. Aren't you glad after that first time God didn't say, you know what, forget you, you're done? <laughs> aren't you? Aren't you glad he was slow to anger? Uh, I'm not going to ask anybody to confess some of the sins that they probably did before they got saved. You know, don't I'm, we're not gonna we're not gonna do that right now. But aren't you glad when those sins were going on that God didn't just say enough's enough and kill you right there? you ought be thank, you ought to be thankful for that. Y'all be thankful that He's slow to anger, and we can go all over the scriptures and see examples where God is slow to anger, and where He's plenteous in mercy and He has abundant mercy. I mean, we there are verses all over the place on that, and we ought to be thankful for that. But one mistake that people often make. Okay, and here, this is important. People like those verses about the mercy and just the long suffering of God, and He is those things. But at the same time, verse 9 is also in here too. Look what it says in verse 9. It says, He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. This is another reminder of the reprobate doctrine right here. And this is what's scary about, you know, being you know the, about the reprobate doctrine and someone being reprobate. We don't know where the line is. The Bible doesn't necessarily clearly define that line that we step over. Okay? Now there are some verses I think in Romans one where you can see where it's pretty clear somebody who has crossed the line. All right, you know, I so said when you got men with burning in their lust towards another, that person's crossed the line. All right. But I doubt that's the first step past the line, all right? That's just when you know, yeah, they're way past it. They're they're way gone. They're done for. But, you know, that person that's out there, the homo or whatever, when did they cross that line? You know, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how we can know. I don't know how anybody can know when somebody has crossed that line. But the truth is, when we take advantage of the grace of God, when we take advantage of His mercy, there will come a point where God will say, "Enough's enough." But it's not going to be after an abundance of mercy. It's not going to be until after Him being very long-suffering. So that's the thing that people need to realize. People get all bent out of shape when you start talking about the reprobates and just you know how wicked they are, and you know it's just, it's not fair that you think these people are never going to get saved, and can't get saved, and things like that. But we see all these many of the examples where it talks about that reprobate or about how God's not always going to try. If we look around those passages, we'll see that they had a lot of chances. This verse is very similar to what it's saying here. It's what it says in Proverbs, He that being often reproved and hardened in his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. And so that a lot of times people they'll read the verses about the abundant mercy of God But they won't read verses like verse 9 where it says, He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. There will come a point where God will say, Enough's enough, and then you're in big trouble. So, I'm not going to preach a message on the reprobate doctrine, but look at verse 10. So it says, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Now keep this in mind too, because a lot of times we can get a little overzealous too, in declaring someone to be reprobate. Where we're like, oh, this person's definitely reprobate. All right, you know, we, well, why do you say that? Well, because they did this and this and this, and therefore they deserve to be reprobate. But wait, he, he doesn't deal with us after our sins. Okay? When we look and we see the, that law and the penalty for sins and things like that, we see God does not deal with us after our sins we get way better than what we deserve lost people are getting better than what they deserve okay they're still getting chances a lot of these people that uh, when we, when we go out soul winning you know we talk to a lot of really wicked people and you know what when we're talking to these wicked people and a uh you know a gospel witness shows up at their door you realize god's being merciful to them god's giving them a chance to be saved you know none of us deserve that God, but once again, God is not dealing with us after our sins, and we ought to be very thankful for that. And that is especially true for a believer. If you're saved and He's letting you keep your salvation, and He is, you don't deserve that. And we, and so we ought to be, we we need to be thankful. But once again, that doesn't take away from the fact He's not always going to chide. And you know what? I believe it's the same thing too for a Christian. Even if you're saved. You're only going to push God so far and I believe there's a sin unto death where God will say enough's enough. I'm taking you home. You're no good to me on this earth anymore. I'm I'm taking you home. And so um, we, we, uh, we need to keep that in mind. So He's not dealt with us after our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgression from us, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. So this mercy right here we're talking about his mercy being higher than the heavens. You know, you say, well, that, that proves the reprobate doctrine is false. But notice here, this is talking about believers here. Okay? Whose transgressions have been removed? It's those who fear him. It's, <coughs> excuse me, it's those who uh, put their faith and trust in him. Those of us who are of faith, we do not get what we deserve. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. They have been separated from us. They're not there anymore. We can't be held accountable. That is a massive benefit, right there. And two people do, you know, and it's, it's it's appropriate when you're looking for a job. You know, what's one of the first questions? You know, how much do they pay, and what kind of benefits do they have? And I'm telling you, being a child of God, being saved, has some great benefits, and having our sins removed from us what a wonderful benefit that is I've always thought it would be great once we shouldn't take advantage God's going to deal with us as children but I've always thought it'd be cool to have diplomatic immunity you know those people get away with all kinds of stuff you know and the truth is if I if I ever had diplomatic immunity I would probably end up losing it because I would take advantage <laughs> I, I would be taking advantage of it and stuff but at the same time you know as Christians it is good to know it and if we do, if we sin willfully, if we just go and just blatantly sin against God, He's going to chasten us. All right, He's going to punish us. We're not going to go to hell. We're not going. To, we're not going to pay that penalty. But at the same time, it is good to know that if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That is a wonderful, uh, wonderful benefit. And so, those of us who are of faith, we do not get what we deserve. And I, it's interesting too, because you know, I've listened to a little bit of. You know, Doka and LeBlanc's, you know, teaching about trying to prove why Christians, people go to hell. And a lot of times, what I hear him doing is just using basic human reasoning. We deserve it. Well, I'll agree with you there. We deserve it. But the Bible's very clear. We don't get what we deserve. We don't get what we deserve. I'll agree with you all day long that saved people deserve to go to hell. But we've been saved from that. So it's not going to happen. So it's just, it's just a foolish, foolish argument. So look at verse 14. It says, For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. Now turn, now, turn over Hebrews 4. Now I think this is interesting too. This is just something, this is just kind of bonus here. But, um, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. So he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. Remember when Adam sinned in the garden? In Genesis 3, um, God told him, uh, he said, you when know, he's pronouncing the curse on him, he said, In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return to the ground, for out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art. And unto dust shalt thou return. Okay? I love that part there. Adam dared go against God. Adam dared sin against God. And you know what? God's just kind of putting him in his place. You know what? He told him, He said, Dust thou art and unto dust shalt thou return. You know, we're we're nothing more than dirt. And man who is dust has no business questioning God and going against God. But we often do, and yet he's still merciful to us. Now, why is that? Hebrews 4.14 says, Seeing then that we have this great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest, which could not be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay? Now let's just think a little bit here. Why is it that Jesus, according to this passage, is able to understand us so well? Because he came down to earth and lived as a man, didn't he? He lived the life of a man. He knows what it's like to be flesh. And it's, and it's interesting because in verse 14 it says, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. You know what's interesting? Jesus didn't, or God didn't start becoming understanding after he came and lived as one of us. He already understood it even before that. It just shows how he's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. It's not like God was just like, what is wrong with these people? And then came and lived like one of us. and Oh, now I see why I should be merciful to him, you know. Truth is, he understood that even back in the Old Testament, didn't he? But, so you say, well then why did he have to come to earth and do all that? He did. To, he had to do that to fulfill all righteousness. He did that to fulfill the law. Why? Because we see in the law how you had to have a high priest and how sacrifice for sin had to be made. And so all those things had to be done. But you all understand that it was declared even before it happened. And that's why the Bible talks about Jesus as the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Okay, he had, Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ came to this earth 2,000 years ago and did all that. But understand that God knew he declares the end from the beginning. He knew what was going to happen, but yet it all had to play out because, on our end, as physical people, you know, a part of this creation stuck in t- here in time. We do see he did had to come had had to come and physically fulfill all those things, and he did. But he did he still understood all these things from the beginning. Nothing nothing changed about God after he came to this earth and lived as a man. He understood these things even back in Psalms. So, just kind of, a I think, an interesting side note there. But um, look at verse 15. It says, As for man, his days are as grass as the flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof uh, shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness Undo children's children. So we see that, you know, the days of man are no, nothing in comparison to everlasting life. And, so, and what and one of the things he's trying to do in this passage here, you know, when he's saying their days are as grass, that doesn't last very long, does it? You know, we don't look at, you know, grass going away as any big deal. Why? Because it, it comes and it goes so quick. All right? But what, what is one thing that often. Bothers people when like really old trees get cut down. All right? I remember at Starved Rock, they had this massive tree that was there. It was just huge. It was a really pretty tree. And it ended up getting sick or disease or whatever. And they, they finally had to cut it down. You can go there and still see the stump. And I don't remember exactly, forgot what kind of tree it was, but that tree, they had a thing there, you know, it dated back to, I think it was before Columbus discovered America. It was one of those where you could look in the rings and it would show you, you know, all these different periods in time, and you're looking here you're thinking that tree has been here a really long time. And so because of that, you know, we think of it as something special, you know, and, but grass, you know, nobody's ever put a sign by grass. You know, <laughs> nobody, nobody makes a big deal about that. No environmentalists have ever, you know, protested the cutting of grass that I know of. Alright. You never know with some of these people. I could be dead wrong on them. I've not seen it. I've I've seen them, you know, chain themselves to trees and things like that, keep them getting cut down. But I've never really seen them try to protect a blade of grass. All right, and part of that too with grass, there's just a ton of it. And the truth is, the days there's billions of people, and our days are very very short in comparison to eternity. In the grand scheme of things, we really don't matter you know, it's kind of sad to think about this too, but you know, one of these days we're going to die. And while there will be small pockets of people that are affected and that will be sad by that, do you realize the rest of the world is going to go on? Do you realize that when I die, not one thing is going to change on television? It's not, it won't even make the news unless I die in some really, you know, crazy way. The world's not going to care. The school across the street is not going to put its flag at half staff, like it did when John McCain died. All right? It, it, it's not. It's not. It's not going to happen. This rest of this town, it's going to go on, and you all will even be sad. But you know what? Eventually, you're going to get over it, and that ain't right. You guys all love me more than that. What's wrong with you people? No. But you know, that's this man, my friends. That's just that's just the way it is. Yet at the same time, it's amazing the way we will elevate ourselves and lift ourselves up and just defy God, act like we know more than God. You know, question the things of God. It's amazing that God puts up with us at all. To th- you know, to think that uh, you know that we would you know, it's like you think you know. Have you ever had just like a little bug or something that was just annoying you? And at first you're just kind of swatting away, but then have you ever just decided, you know what, I'm getting that thing. You know, where now it's like vengeance. All right. I mean, how, how many has ever chased a fly around for a good 10, 15 minutes or something? I've done that before. Where it's like, you know, it's just a fly. There's millions of, them, but you know what? That one just really bugged me, and I'm going to make sure it dies. And then you know, you finally kill it, and it's and you're you're all excited. Well, you know what? I mean, that's how it's got. That's how it is. to God. We are nothing. We are just a bug, we're a fly. And yet we will go and just lift ourselves up, question God, just violate his commandments, and you know He could He could squash us so easy. Just like that. And you know what? It's no it's it would be no great loss. It'd be no sacrifice to him. And but yet he does not do those things, even though we're nothing, he's still merciful to us, but we need to understand our place. We need to understand that our days are very short. The Bible says in James, what is your life? Is even a vapor that appeared for a little time and then vanisheth away? And we see that there is everlasting life, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him. That this goodness that God has given to us now as saved people, it's something that is going to extend for all eternity. We are going to enjoy the blessings of God for all eternity. That ought to humble us a little bit. When we think about just the life of man and how short it is, and to think that we have eternal life. You know what that ought to cause us to do as Christians? It ought to cause us to not spend so much time focusing on our flesh and focusing on carnal things. So you know what? God has given us, He has freely given us, eternal life. So why don't we take advantage of this physical life that we have, this opportunity to actually practice faith and do something for God and just live our life for Him. Live our life following the things of the Spirit, the things that have eternal value. Do we really want to waste all our time just to get a little bigger house, drive a little nicer cars, just to get the, you know the, whatever that it is this world has to offer? It's nothing in comparison to eternal life and we should not waste our lives on these things. And the truth is, when it when you compare it to eternity, you know, you think about some of these billionaires out there that aren't saved. They wasted their life. Doesn't matter how much money they made, they're dead today. All right? Steve Jobs, he died, right? Yeah. Okay? As far as I know, the guy probably wasn't saved. Don't really know much about the guy. Billionaire. the man was not saved, he wasted his life. He got all those riches. And his life was a waste. He is now entered into eternity. He is in hell. And he has nothing to look forward to. He devoted his life to technology, making money, and he accomplished some great things there. But what good is it doing him now? Absolutely nothing. So we need need to keep those things in mind. So look at verse 17 again. It says, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto his children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments, to do them. Now the dispensationalists will use this passage to prove a different method of salvation in the Old Testament. Because notice how it mentions, uh, you know, to those that remember his commandments to do them. They are the ones to get mercy. But here's the question you've got to ask yourself. Alright, and and, and I've, I've asked people this before. They'll use verses like this to prove a different way of salvation or a faith plus works in the Old Testament. Okay, all right, let's just give it to you that that's what that's talking about—the way to salvation. You had to keep His covenant. You had to keep His commandments. to Do them. So, which Old Testament characters did that? Was it Moses? You know, was it Samson? Yeah, <laughs> Samson is mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter eleven. And was it Abraham? Abraham's sin with Hagar was after he got saved. Was it David? Because David's sin with Bathsheba was after he got saved. You think about all these great people in the Bible from the Old Testament that we know are in heaven today. Did they keep God's covenant? Did they keep His commandments? What is this talking about? Well, the truth is there actually was one who did keep those commandments. And His name was Jesus. He kept those commandments. And it turns out that those who are of faith are His seed. Those who are of faith are in Christ. Those who believed on Him are saved. They received imputed righteousness. And you know what? The Old Testament saints are a part of that. They trusted in Jesus Christ. Their faith in God, their belief in God, The David's faith... That caused him to write down those words that says, blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. It showed that he was trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. But he didn't say Jesus Christ. Well, of course, he, that name had not been revealed yet, but he was trusting in God. He was trusting in Jesus Christ. All there is to it. And there are many examples, you know, verses we can go to to prove that, but there was the only Old Testament character that kept all the commandments and the covenant was Jesus Christ. And that's why we need to be born again. That's why we need to be in Christ. That's why we need to receive His righteousness. And the only people that are going to go to heaven are those who are in Christ. That includes everyone from Adam to the last person that ever gets saved. So, right there, um, you know that, that passage there does nothing to prove a different way of salvation in the Old Testament. It says in verse nineteen, the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And it starts out with bless the Lord. Oh my soul, and it kinda of ends with bless the Lord, all my soul. So it's a song of praise. It starts out just kind of praising God, just bless the Lord. It ends with bless the Lord. In between, it's just giving a whole bunch of reasons why we should be praising the Lord. And it gives us some very, very good reasons. And these final verses, what it's just doing, it's just calling on everyone and everything to praise the Lord. Hey, let's just all get on. Let's just bless the Lord. And that is exactly how we should feel after talking about the things that God has done for us, after talking about the benefits of being saved, you know what it ought to do? It ought to cause us to praise the Lord. That's what it should do. And it's amazing how many people today, they can read their Bible, they can read a chapter like this, and yet, still they still think they're going to heaven because of their good works. I mean, how arrogant can you be? You know, the Bible's very clear. It's not of works lest any man should boast. Because you know what we, why would we not boast in what gave us our salvation? Hey, we've all had things we bragged about before. I've got a couple trophies, a couple, you know, in, in my office, and you know, I'll often, yeah, I'll tell you how I got that trophy. You know, just ask me how I got my golf trophies in there. Sometimes, just ask it. I'll, I'll gladly tell you that story. All right, you know, we'll, we boast in those things all day long, you know, if when, but at the same time, yeah, we're going to boast in our salvation. Well, if your salvation, if you think your salvation is from works, guess what you're going to do? You're going to talk about your works. And that's what happens when we go out soul winning and we ask people how they know they're going to heaven. They start boasting on their works. Now we know from the Bible, those people are not saved. You know what I look for? When I ask people how they know they're going to heaven, I look for people who start boasting in Jesus Christ who start praising His name. And anybody who would go around praising themselves, it shows where their hope is. It's in themselves. And that's just foolish. When we look at these things, it ought to cause us to want to sing some praises to God and thank thank Him for the great things He's done. So, I hope this was helpful. Let's pray, dear Lord. We thank You so much for just all these benefits that come With being a Christian, Lord, you load us with these benefits and you've been so good to us, more than we could ever deserve. We thank you for it. I just pray, Lord, you'll help us to ponder these things. I pray help us to remind ourselves of them and that we will praise you daily, uh, just like you deserve. In your name we pray. Amen.